Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. It was Captain Gary, the only experienced sailor on that boat. And there was like three non-experienced couch surfers and we were in the middle of a hurricane and you know there are waves and they're just coming towards you and you're going to be like holy shit and they were like smashing on the catamaran the sail ripped we lost one engine like one engine broke down we lost the anchor locker we lost the paddles of like the small like dinky boat and normally captain gary the most experienced sailor you ever know and you know say, ah, nah, he's gonna figure it out but you just walk up and you just see this guy with fear in his eyes that was the first time in my life I had fear of death. This is the Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. Today, I'm with Nick Martin. He has been a full-time world traveler and adventure seeker for over eight years. He's also a podcast host author, and professional storyteller whose stage shows have drawn paid audiences of over a 1,000 people to hear his travel stories and inspirational advice about living life to the fullest. In 2017, he gave his first TEDx talk on how to get the most out of your life through travel. He's also the founder of Travel University, which is dedicated to helping people realize their own travel dreams away from social expectations and career pressure. All of Nick's work is built around his core belief that every person can give back more and transform the world into a better place by learning for themselves what it means to live out their own dreams. And his primary personal aspiration is that he wants to look back on his life at some point with a grin on his face, laugh to himself, and say, hell yeah, what a ride. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, as a full disclosure to our audience here, this is actually our third attempt to record this show. This was conceptualized. You and I were on the dance floor at three o'clock in the morning and you had just bought me a shot of Sambuca and we were talking about travel stories. And I said, I need to interview you for my podcast. How about we do it tomorrow? And you said, great. And we agreed on the time and the place. And I was like, man, is this guy going to remember to show up? Because at three o'clock in the morning, I'm not sure he was hammered. in the condition to remember that. And sure enough, you didn't show up. You apologized to me later. We set it up for the following day. And the following day, you showed up immediately on time. We recorded an epic conversation and I had an audio glitch problem 
problem with my recording and the audio is unusable. So I have just bought another bottle of wine uh, for Nick, which I told him would be even better than the first bottle of wine in our conversation to get him to come back one more time and record this because he has some truly spectacular life experiences, travel stories, and advice to share. We are currently doing this interview on the beach in Brazil. We are in the beach town of Pipa. We just got here a couple days ago. So we can literally see the ocean from where we are recording this interview. And Nick, great to have you back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm pumped to be back for the second time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the first time was truly amazing. But I think like with this bottle of red wine, it's going to be even better. It's going to be even better, Matt, I can tell you. Now, have you been to Brazil before? No, actually, it's my first time. And how is it going for you so far? Since I got here today, like yesterday, today I went to a beach Madeira. It's like, I don't know, like 10 minutes with a car. I was surfing there. So first time surfing in Brazil, first time surfing on a longboard, and fucking first time surfing with dolphins. Wow. Like, literally, I'm high on life right now. Like I surf with dolphins today. Like they were like three meters away. I was like, holy shit. Like my friend Bjorn. I was like, Bjorn, have you seen her? He's like, what, what? I was like, the fucking dolphins are right there. And I was like, holy shit. Like nobody would believe me. That. It's amazing. Like surfing with dolphins. Oh my God. Like it's fucking amazing. And you've surfed all around the world. Yeah. In a number of different places. And this yeah. was your first experience like this surfing. I almost could like touch it. Like I didn't intend to touch them, but they were just like two or three meters away. And I was like, holy shit. It was amazing. It was uh, breathtaking. Unbelievable. Wow. So that's amazing. So I don't surf, but maybe I should start learning to surf in a place like this. Seriously, the waves are not that big right now. So you can get out and get like a, a longboard and it's, it's quite easy to surf. I may do that. And I'm also going to try kite surfing. We're going to go up to Jerry uh, next yes. week. I think you're going to go as well. Jerry Kwakwa or something like that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And have you kite surfed before? Yes, I've tried it in Dahab in Egypt. Uh, to be honest, it's not my thing. Like I'm more like a wave server because like with the kite and like all the equipment and it's just like uh, too much stuff to concentrate. I mean, I know you have to, you know, give it some time, but I'm more like, yep, let's paddle and let's just pop up and surf the waves and wave to the dolphins and yeah. I love it. So let's start a little bit with your backstory. You've now been traveling the world full time for eight years. Let's start a little bit with your backstory in terms of what led up to that. What was your life like before you started traveling and what led to that decision? Ooh, all right. Long way back. So we time travel now to the year 2009. Back then I was 22 years old and I used to be an IT businessman. So, you know, wearing a suit, driving a fancy, nice business car, an Audi A3 being 22 and I was kind of like a dickhead. I was really like materialistic and I thought, oh, you know what? I can drive this car and, you know, make this this decent amount of money. And, you know, just the normal Monday to Friday red race I had. In 2009, in March, something happened. So I went on my annual leave. So I flew to New Zealand and March is like the prime time of like of winter depression. So everybody just walks around and, you know, they haven't seen like the sun for like ages and they're just like really negative. They just spread around negative wipes and it's just like uh, gray and rainy and dizzy and blah. I don't, I don't like it. And at that time I flew to New Zealand to the other side of the world. And there, you know, the Southern hemisphere, it was summer, it was 25 degrees. I rented a van. And the first day, as soon as I hopped in the van, I drove along the highway and I came along a really beautiful beach. And I was like, oh my God, I just want to stay there for the night. So I parked my van, I walked out, you know, instant, this kind of like MacGyver feeling came up and I was like, oh, I need to do a bonfire. You know, I was just like walking along the beach and like getting some wood. 
to start a fire. Like other backpackers joined me. We had like some decent food. We shared some wine like we do right now. We shared some travel stories. So actually like just those guys shared some travel stories because I haven't, you know, lived through, through so many at that time. That night, something really crazy, really special happened. And like when I walked back to my van, like I went to bed and I fell asleep to the sound of the ocean. I had this huge smile on my face. And back then in 2009, I could not remember when it was the last time I just was like purely happy and like satisfied and just with a smile on my face, I could just fall asleep, you know, without any, you know, thoughts in my head and something like that. So it was just purely amazing. And the next day I woke up and something even more crazy happened because I still smile. And that went on for like three weeks. Every single day I was meeting new people and I had new adventures and I discovered the landscapes of New Zealand for myself. And it was amazing. And after three weeks, I came back into this like really cold and gray Germany. And I was like, I don't like it. I think it, it lasted for like maybe four or five weeks. I had like this feeling in me of like in my stomach, in my guts of like this. I don't know what happened, but something might have happened in New Zealand. Then actually I thought about my life, about the, the trails, you know, like when you imagine your life on a, like um, train tracks, I could purely like see myself walking on the same tracks for like another five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And of course I would gain some more money. I would maybe become like CEO of like a company or, you know, being like a higher salesman or whatever. But as I imagined that picture of myself, you know, in 20, 25 years, um, I was really scared about that. And that was actually the moment I realized, holy shit, I think there's more than just selling business software, wearing a suit and getting some money each month paid on your bank account to buy some materialistic stuff to, you know, impose for people you actually eventually don't like. That was the moment I decided to travel the world. And my initial plan was literally to travel for one year. You know, I'm German. I'm always prepared. So we plan everything. The audience might hear the accents. I'm from Germany and uh, we plan everything. I decided to have a gap year, a sabbatical year. Back in 2009, I, I went to my boss and I was like, you know what? I might kind of consider to leave you guys in two years, you know, so I just get a little bit money right now and then I'm traveling for one year and I will get paid the rest. And he was like, ah, no. Well, basically he said, nine. <laughs> so basically he just screwed up my plan to travel the world for one year. And then I was like, oh, you know what? Then I think I'm going to quit. Right now, it's like really easy to speak about it. But back then, it was more like, a, <laughs> okay, <laughs> then I think I'm going to quit my job. So I was like literally crying in front of my boss. Right now, eight years later, when I look back, I think it's, it's the best decision I've ever made in my life. So what was the initial plan when you decided to go for one year? How much money had you saved up to cover that one year? And what was your initial plan when you set out? All right. My initial plan was flying with a one-way ticket to Mexico, from Mexico, traveling all the way through to Mexico City, flying to Atlanta, traveling up the East Coast, all the way from East Canada to West Canada, back down to San Francisco, flying to Hawaii, back to LA, from LA to the Fiji, from Fiji to Australia, from Australia to Thailand, from Thailand to Dubai, Dubai back to Germany. That was my initial one-year plan. Wow, you did have that all planned out. As I said, I'm German. Of course, we have a plan. We have a plan for everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, literally, that was my plan. And I decided, like, all right, I'm going to do it for one year. That means 365 days. And I thought, I can live each day with about 25 euros. It's like $30 or something. 
I had no clue, you know, no experience at all. But 365 by 25 euros, that led up to 9,000 euros. That was my initial plan to budget like my, you know, I wanted to have that money. But back then, when I decided to travel the world, I just had 3,500 euros in my bank account. So basically, I had a gap for like 5,500. And therefore, and then we come like to one of the most important lessons I've learned even before my traveling, but even more while I was traveling the world or while I'm traveling the world, it's to set your priorities in the right way. So back then I was like, fuck it, I want to travel the world. So I need to earn some money, need to make some cutbacks on my costs, and I need to gain even more money. So basically, I sat down and I wrote me a list of like how much money I do spend in a month for like everything. Like I wrote down every single cent I spend, you know, on booze, on, on going to the cinema, going out with my friends, going out with my girlfriend, eating dinner, like doing whatever. And uh, after one and two months, I said, holy shit, I spent a lot of money for like, you know, bullshit. So I decided to cut all those costs. So I was like, no, I'm not going to spend that money on that. So I just transferred that money into my travel account. And on the other side, I said, all right, you know what? I need to make some more money. But since I already told my job, like, I'm going to quit, they were like, no, fuck you. We just, you know, we don't want to give you any more work so you can make some more money. So I decided to look for a second job. So I used to be a bartender. So I applied for a job as a bartender and I was like, okay. So during the week from 8 to 8 a.m. until 5 p.m., I was working as an IT businessman wearing a suit. And back then I was like, I went to the toilet in my office and I got changed. I had like my black pants and my black shirt, black leather shoes. So I went to the bar and I was doing bartending until like 2 a.m. in the morning. And then I had four hours of sleep. I went back to work and it was really exhausting. And it was, like, I was really tired, but it didn't feel really like hard because I knew it was for something I really wanted to do, like to travel the world. And every single time I closed the bar in my head, it was like, yep. And I earned another 32 beers in Mexico. Like I always had like a beer calculator in my head because we Germans, we love beer. So instead of like, yes, I earned 60 euros. I was like, fuck yes, I earned 32 beers in Mexico. <laughs> and um, therefore I was like really highly motivated, you know, like to save up some money, make some cutbacks on like on my spending money. And yeah, after a couple of months, like New Zealand happened in March, 2009. I decided to quit my job in July. So I ran out of my contract in December, 2009. And on the 11th of February, 2010, I sat in the airplane to Mexico. With 9,000 euros. With 9,000 euro, 9,010 euros in my bank account. Wow. Yeah. And so you land in Mexico. That is your first time ever going to Mexico. And what was the Mexican experience like for you? I've been there a couple of times. I've been to some beach towns and I also lived in Mexico City for a month last year, which was amazing. Truly one of my favorite places. But having never been there before, you just land there. What, and, that, and of course, that's the first stop in your travel journey as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, what yeah. was that like for you? It was amazing. Like literally, like I came out of the airport and of course, you know, Mexico out of the movies. They're all about drugs and they're all about, you know, human trafficking. And you're just like getting really excited walking outside of the airport. And they're like some Mexican dodgy motherfuckers. They're going to be like, oh, Mr. Mr. Senor, Senor, quieres, quieres manejar en mi coche? It's like, no, motherfucker, you do not traffic me all the way down to the border of I don't know where. So I just bought like 
I bought a ticket with a bus going from Cancun to Playa del Carmen. I was supposed to stay there for about a, a month to learn Spanish. Because when I went to Mexico, the only Spanish I could speak were like two sentences. I could tell a girl that she has beautiful eyes and I could order a beer. That's it. That was like all my Spanish. And on the way from Cancun to Playa del Carmen on that night, I came across some checkpoints and they had like huge machine guns. And I was like, holy shit, like this is the real Mexico. But as soon as I, you know, like get used to my neighborhood in Playa del Carmen and I went to the Spanish language school, it was, it was truly amazing. Like I learned Spanish quite quick. I mean, I went to a language school. Back then I had, I don't know, maybe like from 9 to 9 a.m. until 1 p.m. I had school. I used to live with a Mexican family, like my guest mom, Juanita. She took care of me. So every single day after school, I went back home and I got served like a really amazing, tasty, but really hot and spicy chili soup. I was like, holy shit. Like that burned twice, like at least sometimes three times. <laughs> like after three days, like when you learn a language, actually, that's really cool that we talk because as an American, a lot of people of you is like, oh, we can just speak one language. I mean, obviously I can just speak German and, you know, a little bit English, but ahora estoy hablando español también. That means something like I can speak Spanish right now as well. But a lot of people are really scared to learn a language. It's actually quite simple as long as you're not afraid of making mistakes and do as much mistakes as you can, many mistakes as you can, because that's the way how you learn it. So for example, I was like, I learned Spanish in the first place of like, I conjugated verbs. Like I was like, I speak, you speak, we speak, they speak. Like it sounds a little bit different in Spanish, but that was like five days, you know, just like to conjugate verbs. <laughs> and on the third day I came home, I ate this chili soup and I really wanted to talk Spanish with my guest mom, Juanita. And I told her, Juanita. And I told you in Spanish that I'm like a really good cook. Like back home, I could cook better than my mom. And I was really fascinated, you know, to tell her that kind of a compliment. And she just looked at me and she just stood up and she just, you know, smacked my face. I was like, holy shit, what is going on? Excuse me. I just gave you a compliment. You know, as a German, I got quite offended. It's like, what is da los? Warum schlägst du mich? So basically I was like, holy shit, I don't know what, what was going on. And she just walked away and I couldn't see her for the rest of the day. And the next day I, you know, I explained that situation at my Spanish school and my teacher, she was like, ah, oh, no, Nick, no, you, you didn't say that yesterday. I was like, wait, what did I say then? And she explained me that instead of telling my guest mom, hey, I can cook and I'm cook better than my mom. I directly put it in a face of like Juanita, I can cook really good and I can cook better than your mom. <laughs> so therefore, yeah, I realized Mexicans do not like your mom jokes. <laughs> but it was all right. I mean, I made shitloads of mistakes. But the good thing is there was an Italian girl in my class. There were like shitloads of Germans and Swiss people. So they all just spoke German like in the breaks. And um, like me and this Italian girl, we came along like really good. But she could barely speak English or like not German at all. I couldn't speak Italian. So we were forced to speak Spanish. So it's quite impressive. Like if you need to talk a different language, how auditive you will like. Like after like four weeks, I was walking around in Mexico and uh, people asked me like, uh, excuse me, but where, where are you from? Are you, are you Italian? I was like, fuck no, I'm not Italian. But apparently now when I speak Spanish as a German, uh, I sound Italian. <laughs> you speak it with the Italian accent. Yes, it's like, ah, me, puedo, me puedes, por favor, una cerveza, por favor. 
<laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I too had amazing experiences with the people of Mexico in Mexico and all that. And I feel like Mexico is such an amazingly, you know, diverse country in that Mexico City as an urban metropolis is just truly extraordinary. But then the beaches are also amazing. And if you can get out in a boat, that's also amazing. The beaches are amazing, like in Yucatan, like Playa del Carmen, Tulum, Isla Holbox, or like Tipulite, Puerto Escondido, Isla Mua. Me encanta lo este. I like uh, getting back to the Spanish right now. The wine works. I tell you, the wine works. Uh, no, but it's truly amazing. Like, I really fell in love with Mexico, with the country with the people they're like really lovely and uh, the food is amazing i've traveled to more than 70 countries my favorite food is definitely mexican choriqueso pica de gallo oh, it's it's oh, like it's mouth watering it's amazing i agree and it's so cheap and you can get the street food tacos which are just spicy and amazing and inexpensive and at th two o'clock in the morning it's the best food ever it's the best it's the thing best you'll food and like to be honest and also in asia like when you go out and you have street food it's even more hygienic than eating out in restaurants because you can actually like see where they cook and so they're gonna like keep their stuff clean you don't know like how dodgy it could be like in the kitchen of like you know back in the restaurant or something yeah. so i would highly recommend the street food is like the best and also really cheap. So for traveling on a low budget, it's fucking amazing. It really is an amazing place to go. And a lot of people, I think, have a perception, you know, especially Americans, for example, that Mexico is a dangerous place, in part because a lot of the stuff on the news has to do with narco trafficking routes. Of course, and but of that's the funny part, because every single American I met, like not every single American, but a lot of them, they were like, oh, yeah, I've been to Mexico. I've been to Tijuana. I was like, yeah, of course you have like that kind of an impression of Mexico. I mean, I've been to Tijuana and it was fucking dodgy. Like I went to San Diego and I went back to Tijuana for Cinco de Mayo, which is like, you know, like the celebrating day in Mexico. And like, it was crazy. Or like Ciudad de Juarez, like, you not no, you're not supposed to go there. There is like the narcotics and the like narcos and human trafficking and shits going on. And to be honest, what I also realized is when you're able to speak the language, like I don't speak Spanish, like in a professional way, but even if you're able to communicate with the locals, they give you credits for it. Like they will treat you with way more respect than just when you say, hola, um, me puedes traer una Coca-Cola, por favor. No, it's not going to work like that. Like you really have to like give effort into it respect you like way more than just you know being like a bloody tourist and there's like one pick like not a pickup line but i got taught when you're in mexico you're just gonna say hey no mames soy mochilero non turista that basically means don't fuck with me i'm a fucking backpacker i'm not a fucking tourist motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing so from your mexican experience as your first stop what are sort of the highlights, memories? I mean, is there a particular experience that stands out to you? Well, because you, you, you already mentioned like the boat thing in Mexico. Actually, I used to do a, like a lot of couch surfing back then. When I was on the, mm, on the west coast of Mexico, I was actually able to couch surf on a catamaran. I started in Matsunte with the initial plan to go just to San Cabri Lucas. That was like a three days trip, like three nights, three days. It was amazing. Our crew, like it was just like, you know, we are couch surfing this one guy, like Gary, like he's from, uh, I don't know, like somewhere from the States. Maybe he's going to hear that podcast one day. So there was Captain Gary, like an American guy. Can you explain what couch surfing is just for people oh, yeah, that, yeah, sure. that haven't done it before sure. or don't travel, don't know what sure, that is? Sure. How does that work? All right. So couch surfing is Facebook, just different. So it's like a social media platform or like not even like, yeah, actually it's social. It's like a social platform. 
where you can log in and uh, you have your own profile. You can update some pictures. You can describe yourself. And the whole philosophy behind couch surfing is that you as a world traveler are able as a couch surfer to surf on other couches, basically like to sleep on other couches. To make an example, when I'm traveling right now in Brazil or I don't know, and you would like, you know, live here in Pipa and, um, you know, we are kind of like like-minded people and you just love hearing travel stories or just want to help out because you travel a lot as well. So you just set up our own couch surfing profile and you say you're a host. So basically you will offer a couch for some couch surfers. So basically when I'm looking to like, you know, I'm going to go to Pipa, are there like any like couch surfing hosts? You're going to show up. I'm going to write you a message and I can look at your dashboard with some references. So it's quite safe because you can't edit it. You can look at mine and I'm going to be like, Hey Matt, Hey, my name is Nick. I'm traveling around the world. You know, I'm this, you know, like weird German motherfucker. I don't know. Like, uh, can I sleep on your couch? And then you're going to be like, yeah, jawohl, yes, <laughs> you can or no. So basically, I'm just going to come up here and just like crash on your couch for free. Like I don't have to pay, but you should always be able to say thank you in a particular way. Like my way to say thank you was like I cooked for them. So basically, I just opened the fridge. I was like, do you want me to make something out of that what you have in your fridge? Or shall I go shopping and I'm just going to prepare like a traditional German meal or something? Everybody loves to eat. That was my way to say thank you. And it worked out just fine. So through the Couchsurfing network that you were using to get your accommodations for free, which is how you were getting by on $30 a day, yes. right? Um, you were able to land a couch surfing spot on a catamaran. Yes. That sounds amazing. I know, I know. I don't know if it's still possible, but sometimes, like back in the days, you log on couch surfing and you're just going to type in where you are right now. And they say like, spots available next to you and i was like all right that's like you know like a nice picture of a catamaran i was like all right i just clicked on it i was like holy shit this guy's offering like a couch on like a bed on a catamaran i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm, I'm just gonna ride that guy he messaged me back and i know i was like three days away from Mazatlan where we started he was like yes okay it's all right i'm gonna give you more details i don't know like maybe tomorrow But I was like, oh shit, I really need to be there in like two days. So I just hopped on a bus and I had no confirmation or nothing, but I was, I, I just went for it. Like back in the days, I was not experienced with it, but to go with the flow, it is amazing. Like what stuff can happen. It's, it's truly like amazing. So I actually ended up in Mazatlan and I just walked down the harbor. That was 2010. I had no smartphone. I had no laptop with me, no nothing. And I just walked around the harbor and I was like, okay, right. I know how this guy looks like. So in a catamaran, like, you know, it was like 34 feet long. You know, I shouldn't miss it. But there was no catamaran, no nothing. I was like, shit, 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 shit. And um, I waited for about like an hour, an hour and a half two hours. So there was like a guy coming with like, how do you guys call like this really like tiny wooden boats? Yeah, like, like a rowboat? Yes, a rowboat. Yeah. So it's like a huge guy, like two meters tall came. He's like, are you Nick? I was like, fuck yeah, I'm Nick. But who are you? He's like, I'm Gary. I was like, what the fuck? Like you said, it's a catamaran, not like a fucking like robot. He's like, yeah, yeah it's, you know, we just gonna like go with that robot to the catamaran. It's over there. I was like, oh, okay. I see. So I jumped on the catamaran and I just met my crew. The crew was Captain Gary, the only experienced sailor on that boat. There was another couch surfer from Portland. His name is JC and another couch surfer, Emil from Sweden. So there was a German guy, a Swedish guy and a guy from Portland and Captain Gary. The three of us we were like, you know, we could not sail at all. And it was Captain Gary. And it's supposed to be one of the greatest adventures in my life. 
and to be continued. <laughs> She'd be like, if we, if we were doing commercial, we'd do a commercial break right now because I have not heard this story yet, folks, in terms of exactly how this unfolded. But one of the greatest adventures and one of the earliest ones. This was your yes. first. This was the there beginning was, of your was world travels. My, yeah, it was still my first country. I've traveled through Mexico for like three months, and you know, I met some crazy people, and I was riding a scooter through Mexico with this Italian girl. I just fell in love with traveling and I could not believe that so many things were possible when you just go with the flow, when you trust your guts, when you trust your heart, when you really go out there and be patient and you're going to be kind and you're just going to be really open-minded, like the whole world is going to transform for you. And it's, it's just amazing how things work out. And like being on that catamaran, and the trip supposed to be for three days and it was amazing. Like I had no clue about sailing and I thought, oh, maybe, you know, I can, you know, be behind the steering wheel of that catamaran. But there was no, no way because there were like, like he was almost like a German, <laughs> like, like Captain Gary, because there were like proper, like cleaning shifts and like sailing shifts. And yeah, it was really like planned. Because everybody of us, we had to do like, you know, some of us had to do the cleaning, some of us had to do the cooking and the sailing and everything. But it was truly amazing since I've seen dolphins, whales and sharks and like in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, like it was crystal clear and you just jump in front of the catamaran and it just sails over you and you just grab a rope and you can just hang there for like miles and it's amazing like it's it was truly amazing and in the middle of the night like my sailing time was uh, from 2 a.m until 6 a.m so basically it was like pitch black like you couldn't see everything like literally you stand on that catamaran everybody was sleeping apart from jc because he was seasick so you could just hear him like vomiting all the time it's like Bleh! and um so basically, you just, you just steer the catamaran and you put your hand in front of your face and you could not see it. It is pitch black. Like in the middle of the ocean when there's like no moon, no nothing, you could just like put the hand in front of your face and you're like, holy shit, I can't see my hand, which was truly amazing. And back then I had no clue about this so-called shit. What's it called in English? Um, Bioluminescence of like plankton. I'm going to say it in German. Bioluminescence. Plankton is leuchtet, wenn man es berührt. Basically, illuminescence. Illuminescence. So basically, like plankton. Is it called plankton? Yeah, in yeah. the water. Exactly. Where the water appears to illuminate and exactly. become lit from underneath. When you touch it, it glows. Right. Imagine, I'm sailing on the Pacific. I have no clue about anything. And I just see like two like shiny... I don't know, like torpedoes going underneath the catamaran. I was like, holy shit, what is this? There were dolphins playing underneath the catamaran in this illuminated plankton. And I was like, holy shit, oh my God, nobody would believe me. Like everybody slept apart from JC, which just, you know, like um, being on the toilet all the time. And then I just hear this voice like this. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, this is a whale, this is a whale. But I couldn't see my hand in front of my face, but I was looking around like, where's this whale? Where's this whale? But couldn't see it. But then as, you know, as I sailed further, that illumination was like quite brighter and uh, I could just see it out of my right eye. There was like this huge, I don't know what kind of like silhouette it was, like right on the right side of the, of the catamaran. And it just became like clearer and brighter and even clearer and even brighter. And I was like, holy shit. And do you know the movie, The Life of Pi? 
Yes. All right. Do you know when this movie was published? Right around the time that you're talking about, right? Actually, a couple of years later. Okay. I think it was 2012, okay. 2013. Okay. But that story, I'm telling you, it, that happened 2010. They just fucking copied my experience. Like literally, like, like I was like, I was like the life of Pi when he was like touching the water and this huge whale come up. Like my whale, it didn't just come up and just destroy the catamaran, but it was, it was just right there. He just came up to the surface, like right next to the catamaran, like glowing and like in this, all those colors. I was like, holy shit. I was, I had like an, how do you say, like an visual orgasm or something like that? Because it was, it was truly unbelievable. And that happened like in three days, like I, everything in three days on being on a catamaran. We went to San Cabo de Lucas and I supposed to get off the boat. You know, my initial plan was to go back to Mexico City, flying to Atlanta, traveling up the East Coast, whatever. And after like two and a half months of traveling in Mexico, that was the moment I decided, fuck my plan. I'm going to stay on the catamaran. So I, from San Cabo de Lucas, I said, you know what? I'm, you know, I'm keep joining you guys all the way up to Ensenada, which is just um, the south of Tijuana. There we sailed. But the problem was, like in the beginning, when you had your like, you know, sailing duty, you could just have it in your board shorts because it was really warm. But after a while, it gets colder and colder. And, you know, you have to get on your jacket or like long trousers or like, you know, kind of like almost every single piece of clothes because it was so cold. Because of the problem was, we got really cold wind from the north, from, from Alaska. When there's like cold wind hitting on warm weather, it's going to be a thunderstorm. It's going to be, you know, like lightning and, you know, whatever you guys call it in English. When you're on a Pacific uh, or on a boat, you just call it a fucking hurricane. And the problem was that fucking hurricane created some big motherfucking waves. So <laughs> it was Captain Gary the only experienced sailor on that boat. And there was like three non-experienced couch surfers. And we were in the middle of a hurricane. We were in the middle of like, I don't know, how do you call it? Like 12 meters, like how much feet? I don't know, maybe like 20, 25 feet high waves. 12 meters is like over 36 feet. Holy shit. Yeah. Then it was like 36 motherfucking feet. <laughs> so it was like, imagine you're going to be on a catamaran. You're just going to look out like into the white and you see like the horizon, right? Normally it's just like, just on that level as you look. But in the middle of the night, when there's like just moonlight and you just look and you try to figure out where the horizon is and you just look and it's like, nope, there's just water. And you just keep looking up. It's like, nope, still just some water. And you just, you know, almost like bend your neck just to see the horizon all the way up there, like at 30 feet height. And you know, there are waves and they're just coming towards you. And you're going to be like, holy shit. And they were like smashing on the catamaran pumping it from left to right. And like, it, it went on for like two, two and a half days. In the beginning, it was like quite, you know, like it was a little bit bumpy, a little bit windy, like poor JC, he was like vomiting all over the boat. And it was just Captain Gary, Emil and me, you know, trying, you know, to survive. Uh, like JC literally, he just wanted to die. He just was like, no, just, you know, leave me there. I'm just going to be, I'm, I'm going to be, like, I'm dying. I'm seizing, I, I want to die. Like imagine at two o'clock in the morning, you got woken up by email. He's like, Nick, Nick, come on up. We have to put the sail down because it's too windy. Otherwise the sail's gonna like rip apart. And I was like, shit. Okay. So we came up and normally Captain Gary, the, the, the most experienced sailor you ever know. And you know, so, ah, nah, he's going to figure it out, but you just walk up and you just see this guy with fear in his eyes. 
and he's just yelling towards you. It's like, you guys, you do not walk on that catamaran without, you know, holding on to something. Do you understand me? And I was like, uh, holy shit, what is wrong? So the initial plan was to put down the sail because it was too windy. Like, long story, keeping it short, the sail ripped and we lost one engine, like one engine broke down. We lost the anchor locker. We lost the paddles of like the small, like dinky boat thing. Like everything went wrong this night. Whatever could go wrong, it got wrong. It was a mess. Like we went through big waves and we were just like yelling at each other. Like one point, Captain Gary just said, you guys, you know what? Fuck it, just hold on to something and just pray that, you know, that we're going to survive that night. It was, I don't know, like five o'clock in the morning. Like I was, I was really close to like crying, but I couldn't because that was the problem because that was the first time in my life I had fear of death. It's quite hard to, you know, to explain in words, even like in a foreign language, but you don't think about how you look or how much money you have or what the future is going to bring or like what your friends thinking about you. You just have like this one clear thought of like, fuck, I, I want to survive. And you do not have that clearance. You don't have that safetyness of, oh, you're going to survive. It's, you don't have it. And that's a fucking weird feeling, I can tell you. The sail ripped, one of the motors went out and you lost your dinghy, and you were going on a catamaran with only one experienced sailor over 36-foot waves. Yep. That is unbelievable. It and is. so how did that turn out? What, what ultimately... Well, yeah. we went through that night. The storm went kind of over. We tried to anchor behind like a really, really tiny island, but the ground, the surface was like really like, like it went up and down, up and down. So there was like no way to anchor in a proper way. And since we lost the locker for the anchor, every single time we had to like pull up like with our like muscles, like 30 feet of chain. And it's fucking heavy. I can tell you that. And sometimes you're just like, you're exhausted and you just let go. And all the others are just like, shit, 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 shit. Like we almost punched each other, each other's faces because we were like down to our last single like nerve. It was, it was a strange situation since we all got really close at that moment because we had to survive. But on the other side, we just wanted to smash each other faces because there was no safetyness. We were just, it's quite interesting how the human mind works in extreme situations. I mean, now I can like, as I speak, you know, I survived. Everybody survived on that boat, even, even JC, like he got like 10 kilos lighter or something. But uh, like, well, true, poor, poor JC. No, but to be honest, the storm went over and we tried to um, fix the sail with like, on other side we just like cut apart and we just like tried to stitch it and then we went up to Ensenada we tried uh, like to sail with one engine and like you know with the sail and the engine and um, we finally got to Ensenada and that was the last time I oh actually no it was it was not the last time I set foot on a catamaran actually when I went from Panama to Colombia I, I set foot on a catamaran again but that was a couple of years later like right now, I would say it was one of the craziest and hardest and like life changing moments. And back then I was like, I do never, ever want to experience that again. Right now, actually, I'm quite happy that I experienced it. What is your biggest takeaway from that experience years later, seven or eight years later, whatever it's been now, looking back on that, what was your biggest takeaway from uh, that? Actually, there are two. Number one is that people will change in extreme situations. So, I mean, yes, I do trust people, but I know that when it comes to like really extreme situations, people 
they will change. And the second one is you never know what's going to happen. So you can enjoy your life right now, like live in the moment. Just imagine me being on a catamaran, having fear of death, having all those kind of crazy adventures. And after a couple of years, you're coming back home and waiting on a bus station of like, all right, when does this bus going to appear? And all the people around you is like, they complain about, oh, the bus is five minutes late. Oh, and I'm just looking at them like, you have fucking problems, don't you? <laughs> like, you don't have any problems in your life. Like, if you're going to hear that podcast and if you're going to type into your computer, you're able to speak, you're able to read and you have like a decent income. Oh, you, you, you. You can be smart and even if you don't have any income, you can do something about it. But like those kind of moments, like on the catamaran, they just show you like how precious life is. Absolutely, man. Wow. So after your Mexican adventures and experience, you then made your way up to the United States. That was the next spot on your itinerary. Mm -hmm. And so did you cross the land border from Mexico into California? <laughs> yes, I actually crossed the border from Tijuana to San Diego. Back then, I haven't figured out that it's quite a hassle to get in, into the US and um, especially 9-11, of course. But I went there. I don't know. I had like I don't know, like 28 bucks with me or something. I was just like, oh, you know what? Let's just leave Mexico after three months. And I walked there and I had to pass immigration and I had to buy like this waiver, ISTA, whatever form. And it cost like $27. I was like, are you kidding me? Like I'm going into the States with like a dollar in my pocket. And literally, I mean, I'm from Germany. I've heard a lot of stereotypes about, you know, Germans and whatever. Um, <laughs> but literally when you cross the border from Tijuana to San Diego back then, the first building you're going to see on the side of the US is like fucking McDonald's. So I was like, holy shit, how hilarious is that? I mean, we Germans, we do, ha we do know stereotypes about, you know, other people from around the world especially from America about, you know, like cheering for like El President, like the president and whatever. But like you cross the border and you just see a fucking McDonald's. I was like, yes, welcome to the USA. <laughs> and then was your first destination, was Southern California your first destination? Yes, it was San Diego. And um, I, my, like back then I didn't have a plan, but I thought like, oh yeah, you know what? Let's just stay a week in San Diego. So my first couch surfing house was T and uh, T she's, um, Asian girl from Vietnam, lives in uh, California for ages and she hosted me for like two days. And uh, back then she was like, oh, Nick, you know what? You, we definitely should celebrate in Las Vegas. I was like, yeah, I really want to go to Las Vegas. But then uh, plans didn't work out and I went to another host, Abraham. Abraham, he's half Mexican, half half American. And he lived in um, next to the Balboa Park in San Diego. Like, to be honest, San Diego is one of my favorite cities in the US so far. I just became like really good friends like with Abraham and his neighbor, like his, like his neighbor. Neighbor's called Michael. He was originally from Austria and he had like this gap year back in San Diego and we just came along really well. So he said, you know what, you're just going to have like a road trip and I, you know, I can join him to visit the university. And I was like, shit, yeah, you know, like all those experiences. I mean, I left my job back home. I traveled through Mexico, almost died on a catamaran. Now I'm in the US and I just experienced like, you know, I can go to university with that guy. I just, you know, it's amazing. It was really, really, I was truly blessed. Then we had this plan of like, oh, you know what? Let's, you know, go to the Grand Canyon. Let's go to Phoenix. Let's go to, you know, just doing some road trips. And like, I've been to the US and I think it was 2003 in Florida with my parents. But other than that, it was, you know, I've never been to the States before. <laughs> we just came along really well with each other. So instead of staying there for about one week, I actually stayed in San Diego for almost a month. During that time, we had some crazy road trips going on. And obviously, we also went to Las Vegas and that was quite fun. I mean, because of Las Vegas, it's 
I don't know, like Ocean's Eleven or I don't know, like Hangover, like all those movies when you see it in German or in Germany, you're just like, oh, I really want to go to Vegas. And then you finally there. He's like, yeah, we're in Vegas, Vegas, baby. So uh, we partied hard and um, I gambled and I lost. And the next morning I was like, shit, I lost hundred bucks, which is nothing by the way. Like literally as a low budget backpacker, you just walk into a casino and just like, all right, I'm going to have a hundred bucks with me. I'm going to make a thousand of it. That would be amazing. <laughs> But of course you don't. A uh, hundred dollars is like shitloads of money for a backpacker on a budget. So it, it means like four days living wherever you want, you know, apart from Switzerland, fucking expensive country. <laughs> you can have like a water as an uh, appetizer that costs fucking 100 euros. So basically I was like, holy shit, I need to get some of my money back. And this Austrian guy, Michael, he went with us. It was Abraham, it was Michael and it was me. And uh, he had this um, traditional Austrian lederhosen with him, like, you know, walking around at Oktoberfest on it with this like huge instrument. Like, I don't know what's the name in English, like the, in Germany called Ziehharmonika. And uh, so I said, you know what? I need to make some money. And since Michael has that trousers and he can play the instrument, I'm going to wear those trousers and I'm going to do the fucking hilarious Schuhplattler dance in front of the MGM Grand on the strip in Las Vegas. <laughs> and actually, we did it. And uh, like people said like, ah, oh, you're American, so you can't do the German dance. I was like, oh, yes, I'm going to show you I'm German. So I just did like the Schuhplattler for like two hours. They were like dancing with people and like everybody was just fucking wasted over there. And, you know, they threw some money at us. So in two hours, we made like 50 bucks. And we went back to the hotel and then my phone rang and T was on the other line. She was like, Nick, you're in Vegas. I was like, hell yeah. And she's like, I'm in Vegas too. Because when I couch surfed with, with T in San Diego, her initial plan was that we should celebrate a bachelorette party of her friend together. And I was like, yeah, sure, I can join. Back then she said, like, oh, but you know what? We're just looking for a stripper. So basically I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, of course I can be a stripper. So then when I had her on, on the phone, she was like, Nick, you're in Vegas. I was like, yeah. She was like, yeah, let's, you know, celebrate tonight because I'm in Vegas and we have a bachelorette party. I had no clue what a bachelorette party is at that moment. I was like, yeah, it's like, a, yeah, let's, let's make party. Yes, jawohl. That was like my mindset. Like, yes, let's party in Vegas. Fuck yeah. And she was like, yeah, but we're still looking for a stripper. And I was like, whatever. Okay. She was like, right. Let's meet then in the Paris hotel. And I don't know, like the 18th floor in that, in that room. I was like, okay. I had a shower and I went there. I was like, like I hadn't ate a lot or like almost nothing that day. And I went to this Paris hotel, went up to the 18th floor, the elevator opened, I walked down and I just heard this voice of like, oh my God, yeah! It's like, holy shit, what is that noise? So there were like a, a room like covered with balloons. I was like, all right, um, oh shit, okay, that matches the number T told me I should go there. So I tried to like knock and I was like, oh, I could do the German way, you know, the German approach of just like knocking at the door. It's like, nah, 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 nah. They were looking for a stripper. So I just, you know, Be in front of that door, I was like, just smashing the door. And I just say like, oh my God, who's there? <laughs> so the door opened up and I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I just got pulled in by like seven hardcore Asian chicks ready to party hard. And it's like, holy shit, what is going on? And then I realized a bachelorette party is uh, a bachelorette party, like a Junggesellenabschied, what we call it in German. So this one, you know, the bride to be, you know, almost, you know, like ready to go and like really drunk. And I was totally sober. And they were like, oh, Nick, take the shot and that drink and that. I was like, yes, I do need that. So I drank a lot. 
And like 25 minutes later, we were like all dancing and partying in the room, you know, dancing, listening to some music until the bride-to-be out of a sudden just throws herself into the bed, reaches the radio, turn it on, turns it on and just look at me like in a really like expecting way. And I just, you know, had like my cocktails, my shots in my hands. I was dancing. I was like, realized, holy shit. They were all looking at me the same way. I was like, oh shit, I think I need to deliver. And we Germans, we always deliver. <laughs> so I just call it a hashtag uh, magic mic moment. <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah, I just, you know, did some uh, chatting tatter movements the German way. It worked out quite well. It was, a, it was a really good night though. It was like, I made 30 bucks in three minutes. I was like, holy shit, I'm almost up on my 100 bucks I lost the day before. <laughs> and we partied hard in the Axis, like the luxury club in, the, in, in Wynn. And it was like Vegas. Uh, it was truly amazing. So you delivered the strip show, 30 bucks for the three-minute strip dance. Yes. Which is about 10 bucks a minute, which is about $600 an hour rate. Fuck yes. Not bad, sir. You know what? That's called German efficiency right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. Amazing. Yeah, you never know. You never know what will happen when you go to Las Vegas. No, you never know. Seriously, like I've been there like three times and every single time it was just purely amazing. And I always tell the people in my show like, Please promise me when you go to Vegas, just have like a hundred dollars in your pocket, like leave your credit card back home and um, expect the unexpected. Absolutely. That's amazing. So, okay. So you did, you've done the West coast, you did Southern California, Arizona, you came over to Vegas. And then what was your next move? After I literally that? like just traveled up North. So I traveled all the way on the West coast of the States, went to Portland, uh, tried the voodoo donuts, which was amazing. Actually, Portland is the only state can proudly say as a German, I really enjoyed the beer. I went to some, you know, microbreweries and it was really, really good. So I went to Portland, of course, like San Francisco and like all the way up to the, uh, to the West coast. I ended up in Seattle, couch surfed there with a, with a girl. And the one night we had like a, a, a shisha, I think you guys yep. call it. Yep. So we had a shisha in the living room and uh, one of her friends, she was like, oh, so what are we going to do tomorrow? And I was like, I just want to explore the city. And uh, Julia recommended like, oh, let's do this uh, bike ride through Seattle. I was like, hell yeah. You know, riding a bike through Seattle, you get to know the, the city. It sounds, sounds good to me. So the next day we all met, we rented some bikes and we cycled all the way down somewhere near downtown in Seattle. 
in front of a huge warehouse. I was like, uh, okay, so this is weird. <laughs> so uh, we all went into this warehouse and it was pitch black. And I was like, holy shit, this smell is really bad, like really artificial. And as soon as your eyes, you know, getting used to the dark, I was like, what the fuck is going on? I was staying in front of like 500 Butt naked people. I was like, shit, they just brought me into this huge orgy. And I don't know if I had to cry or to smile. <laughs> but, and then like the smell, it was really bad. And I was like, holy shit, wh what are those guys doing? You know, but literally everybody was butt naked and they got body painted. So I was like, uh, okay. So it was the summer solstice party i think you guys call it so they're gonna celebrate the summer and they were like riding a bike naked through seattle body painted and i was like fuck yeah i'm in so i got body painted as the incredible hulk so while i was standing with i don't know like in the end it was like about 800 people so i was standing but naked in that warehouse in seattle i've never been before totally naked and got you know i just painted myself like the tummy and the arms and like the legs everything was like green and like you know the part from the knees to the hips it would you know covering it blue so this one girl showed up she was like um excuse me do you want me to paint your balls <laughs> i'm like fuck yes i do want you to paint my balls so just painted my balls blue i was like fuck yeah man it's it's all about living life to the fullest yeah so basically i rode a bike naked through seattle with amongst 800 other people and just uh screaming like oh i'm the incredible hulk don't make me angry <laughs> Yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> wow. Well, that is definitely an American invention. Now, at this point, you are how much through your journey? I mean, how long did you spend in the U.S.? About six months. About six months in the U.S.? Uh, no, no. Or three months. Mexico, journey. three months. Three and three. Yeah, three and three. Then, you went then I went through Canada for like another three months. And that was like the World Cup 2010. And like in Germany, we loved playing soccer. And it's like, yeah, World Cup, go Germany. And it was uh, in Canada. And nobody gives a shit about soccer in Canada. And I knew there was like the first game. It was Germany against Australia. And we won four to one. I was like, yeah, let's celebrate. And normally in Germany, we just hop in our cars and run through the city, honking the shit out of the cars. Like, yeah, Germany, Germany. I watched the game. I was like, yeah, let's celebrate. Let's do something. And like the one guy's like, yes, let's mow the lawn. You know, I was like, fuck no, man, I want to celebrate. So I went to a pub, but nobody was there. So I just had a couple of beers by myself. Yeah, so I went through Canada. I had some amazing experience in Canada as well. Literally, like my show goes on for almost four hours. So like that podcast can go on for like at least another 12 hours. And so after Canada, though, you then went to, was Asia next? Did you go to, was Fiji? It was Fiji. Yeah, so I went through the west coast of the States, went from west to east in Canada, went down to New York, um, flew back to the, to the west coast, and then I had a flight from Los Angeles towards Fiji. I supposed to do some island hopping in the Fijis for like three weeks, and it was amazing. Like, Fiji, have you ever been there? Never. You should go there once in your life. Like, it is even better than you can imagine, like 332 islands, turquoise water, you can do, I don't know, like you can do whatever you want to do. It's amazing. Like you can snorkel, you can scuba dive, you can, you know, snorkel with sharks. It's just amazing. And like two and a half weeks into my trip in the Fiji, doing some island topping, I was on this one island and like Fijians, they, if they do something, they're going to do it with a hundred percent. Like if they smile, they don't do it like, ha ha ha, they're going to be like, ha <laughs> ha. 
<laughs> they just like, you know, out of the, out of the guts, it's just like, whatever they do, they're going to do with a hundred percent. Also playing volleyball. Like if you're going to be on Fiji and you're going to play volleyball, message me if you're going to win a game against Fijians, because I've ne like in the, in those three weeks, I've never won against a Fijian team. After two and a half weeks, we played volleyball at this beach in 9 a.m. in the morning and then like for two hours and everybody was sweaty and really hard. So we went for a dip in the ocean, came back to the beach, I enjoyed a shower and um, some Fijians and some locals and some backpackers sitting around goofing off and I just washed my hair. This one guy was like, hey, Nick, Nick, open your eyes, open your eyes. And I was like, all right. So, you know, I just lifted up my 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 hat put the hair out of my face and just looked around who you know who just you know said my name so there was this guy literally standing two meters away and he looked at me and he's like <laughs> and he was pointing a fucking spear gun towards me i was like holy shit what is going on and because he you know he won the game so you know he actually had no intentions or no, no bad reasons for it and i just answered him was like oh you want to shoot me or what <laughs> and then i just put down like my fingers because I, you know, I put them up to put the hair out of my face. I put down my hands and I just looked in his eyes and his eyes, his facial expression went from this, ha ha, look at me. I'm going to make some fun. I'm going to point a loaded spear gun towards you into this. Oh, holy shit. By accident, I just pulled the trigger. And at that moment I was just like, Foop! And something like really like nasty stuff like happened on my right side of my body. And I just looked down and I could see, I mean, like the audience can't see it, but you can hear, you can see it. There are like two scars in my thumb, like one here, one there. And there's another scar in my chest. So basically that guy of a distance of two meters, he just shot a spear gun into my thumb, came out of the other side and just went into the right side of my chest. So my thumb was nailed on my chest. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, my first reaction, I can't remember, but people told me my first reaction was this, fuck. And I just looked down and obviously I watched too much spray fart when I was young. So I was like, oh, there's like, you know, some strange object in my chest. So I'm just going to pull it out. So I grabbed between my thumb and my chest and I just ripped it out of my chest, but I still had it like through my, in my thumb. So oh. I needed like two tries to push it out of my thumb, but the shower was still running. I was bleeding like fucking pig and the people around me, like, you know, two seconds before they were just having fun, goofing off, sharing some laughs. And they just saw a Fijian guy shooting a loaded spear gun, like into a German guy, like through his thumb into his chest. And they were like screaming like, holy shit. Oh my God. Oh my God. So like two guys just stood up and they just ran away to get like a first aid kit. There must be Germans or something like, oh, he's injured. Let's go. We need to help him. <laughs> I don't know. And I was like standing there and I, I hadn't had any pain at all, but I was under shock. I was like, holy shit. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I got something in my rest chest. And like, like what is, what, what, what is going on right now? And I was like breathing. Like, and this guy just shot me. He just stared at me and he was like, oh my God, Nick, 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 are you all right? Do you feel pain? Do you feel pain? I was like, no, you fucking idiot. I do not feel any pain, but you know, just give me like a Coke and bring me a package of cigarettes because I'm under shock. So, um, I tried to like figure out like what just happened because I was under shock. Um, and I tried to take like a deep breath and I think like, but that actually like didn't work out at all because when I tried to breathe in like really deep. I had like really terrible pain in my right side of the chest. And I was like, shit, there were the lungs. 
And that moment, those two other German backpackers came along, like with a, how do you say, like with a table, Hansaplast, you know, just like, oh shit, no, that's not going to work out. Like if that happens in the US, the ambulance was, would come straight away and they would just grab you and just, you know, drive you into the next hospital, ask you for the, like, are you, you know, have you have Obamacare or not or something like that. But you're on the Fijis. You're the other side of the world. There is no fucking ambulance. There is nothing on that island. So I literally had to wait for about 45 minutes to get picked up by a fisher with his fishing boat. Like I was smoking almost like a pack of cigarettes during that time. I was like smoking if there's like some smoke coming out of the lungs or not. <laughs> and um, like the fisherman came by, he picked me up and he dropped me off another island about 30 minutes later. And actually on that, on that boat ride, like, it is said when you're really close to die, you're just going to see like this really bright light and you just, you know, have like all those memories about your childhood, you know, just passing your mind and it just light in that boat. And it just had this bright light in front of me. Back then it was just the sun, but I was still like convinced, okay, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm fucking dying on a you know, beautiful place on the earth. So I went to this other island to, um, to get to a medical center which was basically just a hut made out of bamboos they just gave me like some penicillin and uh, they just stitched me up like that like they just put like a uh, lighter and they disinfected it with a like a needle and they just stitched me up on my chest they put some cream on my thumb put like a, a tape around it it's like all right you're good to go have fun i was like holy shit are you guys like what the fuck and um instead of like flying out of the Fiji's because that was at the end of my trip. I decided to stay on another island. Like I really wanted to leave that island. I got shot on. So I stayed on another island, Mana Island. And um, because I was a bit scared of like, you know, getting into an airplane where like the pressure is, you know, changing. And because, you know, I did not know if the lungs were hurt or not. Like I still breathed. So I was like, all right, you know, you know, I keep living. <laughs> and, um, yeah, but back then I was like, no, I'm not going to, you know, get my flight to Australia. I ended up eventually living on the Fiji's for about two months until my chest got better. But I ran out of money. Like I ran out of money because there's no ATM on those islands. So basically, what do you do when you ran out of money traveling? You know, apart from, you know, being a stripper is uh, you just um, look for an institution or like a hostel or something. You can just like, you know swap your time against money so basically i used to do like i was being the the chef the the technician the animator the entertainer like the the cleaning lady i was doing like those kind of jobs just to stay there for free so i ended up living in fiji on one of the most beautiful islands in the world i've ever seen totally for free I got to know the locals because I worked with them. It was an amazing experience. I, I celebrated Christmas with them. I supported a, a technical dive scuba school. Uh, I went on the islands a couple of times where, um, shit, what's the movie called with Tom Hanks and Wilson? Castaway? Yes, it was Castaway. Castaway was filmed in Fiji and there was like this specific island. My job was to, on a boat, <laughs> to drive other backpackers to that island every single day. Like it was a fucking dream job. So as I said, in the beginning, at the same as the catamaran trip, it sounds really negative, but I was quite happy that something like that happened. Since then, you just know to appreciate the time you have on this planet. 
and it just worked out really well for me and I got to know amazing people like we call ourselves the Mana crew because it's called the Mana Island and we've been like a guy from Canada me as a German three guys from England one from Ireland and we actually met already three times all of us together after Fiji we had a meet up in in, in London uh, we're gonna meet up in Vegas in 2020. It's going to be fucking amazing. Yeah, it's everything happens for a reason. Wow. So this was now coming towards the end of your first year, which was the initial time that you had allotted for your trip. And then the plan after the first year was to maybe go back and exactly. get your job again in Germany and that kind of stuff. But as we now know from the introduction, your trip and travel adventures and passion for seeing the world has now extended for another seven years. Exactly. So can you talk a little bit about that, sort of the choice to extend it? And then also, you know, after your sort of manual labor to make enough money to <laughs> live off labor. of and, you know, and this kind of stuff, you've yeah. now come up with very incredibly strategic ways to monetize the travel adventures that you're having in the form of doing podcasts and writing books and creating courses and doing live stage shows that yeah. people come to see and all of that, you've figured out a way to monetize your passion so you can keep doing what you love and then be able to make money off of it. So can you talk a little bit about how that, how you basically came to that realization and then executed that all the way up to the point of last year doing your TEDx talk? All right. So basically from the Fiji zone, I went to Australia. I was nine months on the go and I was like, holy shit, I cannot go back to Germany in three months. So I basically, as a German, we can use our work and travel holiday visa in Australia and a couple of other, other countries. So we can officially work there and make some money. Before I started my trip, I set my priorities right to save up some money to go traveling. In Australia, I set up my priorities to work there to make some money to continue to travel. So basically I thought, you know what, instead of like having one or two jobs, I'm going to find myself five jobs at the same time. So I literally worked seven days a week for 16 hours straight every single day. And it was like really like grinding it down. After like three months, I made almost like 15 grand, like Australian dollar, 15,000 Australian dollars. So I went back to Germany with about 12,000 euros, which was more than I left Germany two years ago. So basically I, I lived in Australia for almost a year. I went to Asia and like to Vietnam, to Cambodia, to Laos, to Thailand, and uh, been to Indonesia, to Malaysia. And after like two years, I went back home just to figure out that it was not just this two years gap in my CV. It was more like a passion because I already like knew it. I felt it in my body that, you know, there was something there because I was not satisfied. I just, I went back and I was like, holy shit, everything changed so much. Like I had like a really bad travel depression until I realized, to be honest, nothing changed. The only one who changed is myself because of all the experiences, all the adventures, all the characters, all the people I met, all, all the stuff I learned, I went through. So therefore I traveled again for one and a half years in Central and South America. My, my girlfriend back in Germany, and then we went to like Central and South America together. After three and a half years of traveling, some friends I met along the way, they told me, hey Nick, there's an announce, the, like Swiss airline announced this kind of like job opportunity to travel the world for six months and getting paid for it is like, shit, yeah, that sounds like me. Literally, I got this job. I traveled the world for more, six more months and I got paid. 
And I had to, you know, write articles. I had to do Instagram, I had to Twitter. I had to write articles for the like onboard magazine. So I had to do like a lot of work in German and in English. At that time, I realized, holy shit, actually, I, I built up some expertise in like the travel sector and that a lot of people came along and they were like, oh, Nick, you know, I'm so jealous. I wish I had your life. I wanted to travel the world. How did you do it? And it was constantly on Facebook and email and writing those people about, you know, how I started, how I did it, what I went through, what kind of adventures I lived through. And uh, eventually I got really I didn't get bored of it, but I was kind of like, oh, shit, I have to tell this story like a hundred times. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to gather a bunch of people around who always ask me about my adventures back home and I'm just going to tell it live. So I was like, yeah, let's do this kind of like, you know, travel lecture show. Like then in my village, I was like printing some, some flyers and I invited, like, actually I forced every single friend of mine, just like, you come up, you're going to show up because otherwise, you know, it just looks really bad. I mean, in front of like five people, but in the end, there were almost 50 people there. Like the, the whole room was like full, it was packed. And I spoke for like five and a half hours. Wow. Yeah. It was like, I was like chronically going through like, you know, my travels around the world for like almost five years. I really enjoyed it and people really enjoyed it apart that it was really long and, you know, everybody butts hurt because we were just sitting there for five and a half hours, but everybody enjoyed it. And I heard a lot that when I talk about my travel experiences, it sounds apparently like so inspiring and motivational and like really funny. And I was really pushed about that, that people come to me. It's like, Nick, you know what? It's really inspiring the way you talk about your adventures. And I'm like, that's actually pretty amazing. So I started to travel again for six months in Asia until I came up with some digital nomads. And we had like this so-called mastermind session of like, you know, talking about a problem and they're just going to like view it from a different point of view. And they're just going to you know, give you some advice. And I actually ended up thinking about, you know what, if I'm going to love to talk about my travel adventures and I love to inspire people and people will get inspiration from my adventures, I lived all the way throughout the world. Why not doing this a semi-professional way? So I ended up creating a Facebook event in German, in Berlin, even if I'm not from Berlin, but I thought, oh, I'm going to know a couple of people so they can, you know, make some, you know, commercial for it, or, you know, they can just spread the word. And that was on my 30th birthday. That was like in May, 2016, when I flew back from Thailand over Dubai to Germany. In Dubai, I celebrated my 30th birthday and I had no internet, internet connection for three days. When I went back to Germany, my mobile phone didn't stop to vibrate. I was like, shit, what's going on? So the Facebook event I set off went kind of like viral. So there were like 7,000 people interested. I was like, holy shit. Like, like literally I was sitting in Bangkok. I was like, oh, you know what? Um, I could call it like what, what I'm going to call it. Like I've traveled the world for six years. Okay. Traveling the world for six years. Well, there, there must be a subtitle. In Germany, we have this phrase when you sit in front of your employee or like if you're going to apply for a job and he just looks at your CV and he's going to be like, oh, you're going to have a gap in your CV. What is this? And you just reply like, yeah, it was fucking amazing. So basically, I just call it traveling the world for six years, the most amazing gap in your CV. And people got crazy. And I thought, oh, shit, okay, now I should, you know, get like a ticket system and like people, you know, just like selling tickets. And, you know, I had no clue about anything about being an entrepreneur, about how to sell stuff, how to price it right and whatever. But it's all about experience. I always say two and a half years ago, I just stumbled into being an entrepreneur. Like that was my first show in Berlin. 
after the five and a half hours talk with my friends, I sold tickets. It was sold out in 24 hours. And I was like, all right, maybe I'm going to do like additional talk in Berlin and then maybe in Leipzig and maybe in Hamburg and maybe in Cologne and maybe in Munich and maybe in Frankfurt. And it just went on and on and on and on. And nowadays I have more than 70 talks in four German speaking countries, like in Germany, Liechtenstein, Austria and Switzerland. And with more than 20,000 participants in those shows. In the beginning, I have to say, yes, it was amazing to make money. And it was amazing to be this guy being on stage talking about his adventures until the first feedback dropped in from people who wrote me. I didn't know them. They just saw me on stage for like three and a half to four hours. But then they had the guts to write me, um, Nick, my name is, I don't know, like I'm that and that old. And I literally, I had to cry in your lecture because... You used some words, you described situations I really felt. You touched my heart by talking not just about your adventures, but like the way I want to live. And due to your show, I was actually able to have the guts to do what I want to do. And basically those guys, they just sent me feedback of that I was the guy who inspired them to live their dreams. And that is the real value what I have. And when you ask that questions of like, how was I able to make money, you know, to do so, I wouldn't describe it the way to make money. It's more like the way to bring value to people. When you bring value, when you bring amazing content to people, if you're going to solve a problem, you will eventually get paid for it. And that's a fun thing because in Germany, there's a word like the salary, it's called Verdienst in German. And in the word Verdienst, there's like the noun of Dienen, that means to serve. So when you serve people, you will eventually earn money with it. But making money right now, that's not my priority number one. My priority is like to real inspire people. And like, if you like, I don't know how to say it, it's... Like when I'm on stage and I talk and people do not know what to expect in like the next four hours and I start to speak and you just see like the small little tiny sprinkle flames in their eyes after four hours, they're just fucking burning out of their eyes. Like the fire is huge. And that's the way, that's the moment you're going to be like, fuck yes. And this is, that is the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. How then after that did the TED talk come about? You did a TED, your first TEDx talk was 2017. So how did that come about? And how was that experience for you? Uh, well, okay. Starting with that point, it was horrible. I was super nervous. Like I had that, like, it was my, my first official talk in English. I mean, I wouldn't say like this podcast is, like, oh yes, it is official, but I have a bottle of wine in. So, so you know, <laughs> I'm fairly tipsy right now. I would love to be tipsy at the TED Talk since like when I'm on stage, I can talk a long time as you, you know, experience it right now. You know, I can talk for hours, but back then they said, uh, yes, to become an, you know, an officially TEDx talker, your talk must not exceed 18 minutes. I was like, holy shit, how should I do that? So I had to script it, everything. And I'm not a big fan of scripts. I'm not a big fan of like writing down lines and, you know, remembering them and just writing down, you know, just telling them. And, but I have to do it. I was forced to do it. Initially, it started when I think one of my participants of my shows, um, when they saw me, one of her friends, she was working in a university in Kufstein in Austria. 
and therefore they were organizing a TEDx Kufstein talk. I think she just brought up my name and they just contacted me and she's like, so uh, do you want to have a TED talk? I was like, fuck yes, I want to do a TED talk. And after that, I realized uh, it had to be in English. It had to be under 18 minutes. I was like, oh, shit. So I was super nervous. Like right now when I'm going on YouTube and I just, you know, YouTube for like Nick Martin, live life to the fullest TEDx. I like, I'm shaking. It's like, oh my God, like this is like, so not me. Like I'm super nervous. And like this one guy, he actually, I commented why he wrote a comment of like, why does this guy have an Indian accent? <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Like I'm German. We have like the most insane, like hilarious, like fucking idiotic accent ever. And he's like, <laughs> why does the guy have an English accent? Like if I would be on stage, I could do like an Indian accent like that. So hello, my name is Nick Martin. I'm the, from the Germany country, but, but do you want to buy some stuff? But <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a really good experience, though. I really appreciate the the opportunity to to give one, and um, I just hope that the right people at the right time gonna find that talk. Maybe just gonna reach out so I can just help them like to live their own life to the fullest. Well, we're definitely gonna link to your TEDx talk in the show notes, so you can just go to themaverickshow.com show notes, and then we're gonna link to Nick's TEDx talk as well as everything else we've discussed on this episode. But I just want to ask you to speak to that point that you just made about someone who was trying to basically heckle you in the comments or say something negative. Why does this guy have an Indian accent? Or, you know, I'm sure there's a handful, you know, when I go to your TEDx talk on YouTube, you know, it's like, 97% are like thumbs up, positive comments, isn't that? But there's going to be that 3% or that 5% of people on your talk and pretty much on everyone else's talk who are influencers that I follow or, you know, people that I think are doing amazing work. And there's always going to be that whatever 3%, 5%, 10% of people who are just going to have very, very negative things to say about that in the comments section. And for me, I mean, it certainly happens with, you know, with me as well and everyone. And so when that happens, when people make negative comments, that can be really hurtful. And it can really, I think, emotionally affect people and debilitate them. And I wanted to just ask you about how you process that and how you handle those negative comments. That's actually a really, really good question, Matt. I think it's a process. Like in the beginning, I was super, super offended when some guys visiting my show wrote a bad comment about, oh, this show sucks. Like he's fucking dickhead no he's like you know he he, they just like wrote some really bad stuff but then i realized other people commented on his comment about like no it was fucking amazing and it was really nice and it was really good and that's actually like the key point about not giving the fuck about people who do not appreciate it because you always know that there are 79 percent of people who really enjoyed it and actually my my goal or my aim is like when I do a show that there will be just one person in the audience, I might gonna have the opportunity to change. So when when they walk out of that after that presentation and they think, you know what, if that guy can do it, I can definitely do it, then I totally reach my goal. Because I mean, what else do you wanna do? Like of course, when you do have like an episode of the Maverick show and, you know, it's about like a really specific a topic or whatever, there will be some haters. Haters, haters gonna hate. It's always like that. But there will be this one person you're gonna change. And to be honest, that's supposed to be your goal. And if you can reach that, fuck the others. That's amazing. And I agree with that. And I want to just emphasize that, you know, for everybody listening, because a lot of people, 
you know, that listen to the show that are maybe at the beginning of their journey and they're willing to put themselves out there and try their best and put out their best content, deliver their best value. And with 100% certainty, there is going to be a certain percentage of people that are going to make very negative comments about whatever it is that you're putting out there. And I think one of the most important things in, especially in the early days, right, is to inoculate yourself and prepare for that and understand that a certain percentage is going to have that disposition towards whatever it is that you're doing. But as long as you can affect and inspire and deliver real value and change lives of at least one person, I agree with that. Fuck yeah. I'm going to give you one more advice how you can actually prepare for it. Just imagine if somebody going to throw out some negative comments or like some negative wipes or whatever, just see it that they're jealous of it. So they are jealous because you are already setting up a podcast or like a live show or like whatever. If it's like a YouTube channel, an online course, or you're just gonna, whatever you do, you do, people will get jealous about it. So just take it as a compliment because you can't make everybody happy. Like if you want to make, if you want to be everybody's darling, you end up being everybody's asshole. Yeah, if you yeah. want to try to please everybody, you're going to please nobody. Exactly. So do your thing and deliver your value to a particular niche, which means that other people might hate on it or they might say negative things about it or whatever. But as long as you have your core fans and your core audience and your core market and you are inspiring and adding value to a certain group of people, don't worry about the rest. Exactly. And that I think is really important. And that can debilitate a lot of people from getting going. So I think inoculating yourself that there is going to be negative feedback no matter what it is that you're doing and just focus on the one or two people to start. And then that number is just going to grow and grow and grow in terms of who you're inspiring and who you're affecting. Exactly. And now we come to that point when I'm going to be like, it was one of the parts in my TED talk as well. Like, of course, number one, you need to get started. Like, don't overthink. Don't like be afraid of, you know, that there were going to be haters and don't be afraid of making mistakes. Making mistakes is the greatest source of knowledge you will ever have in your own life. It doesn't matter in which sector you're going to be or you're going to work or like in what way you're going to, you know, fulfill your passion. Just as a small example, when you're at school and you're going to write down like, shit, what's the word in English for it? Like, uh, I'm going to say it in German. If you're going to write down a diktat or an aufsatz, that means like you, you have to write something down. And if you're going to make grammar mistakes or spelling mistakes, you will have like a bad mark for it. You were going to receive, I think you guys call it like a D or an E or an F or something like that. Based on your mistakes you made, you will get a bad mark. So since you're small, you will associate making mistakes with negativity because you receive bad marks. But that's actually fucking bullshit. I always say making mistakes, you can actually put on the same level as getting experience. Because when you make, like as a small child, you have to throw your fingers on like the, the stove and realize, fuck yeah, this is hot. So you won't do it ever again. It doesn't matter if you always get told like, oh, don't put your fingers on the stove because it's hot. You have to get that experience. You have to make that mistake. And that's throughout your whole life. Just throw yourself out there and make shit lots of mistakes and learn from them. It is okay to make mistakes. It's not a bad thing. It's just gaining experience and learning from them. And the next time you're going to make it better. I think that's right. And the same is true with different failures that you can have. And this is especially true for entrepreneurs and business owners. I mean, people know that listen to The Maverick Show 
that whenever I have a business owner on, we're always talking about failures that they made. And most of them have made failure after failure after failure before they were finally able to chart a path to success because they learned from every failure and every mistake. And they took a lesson from that and applied it to the next venture. And the key is to just keep on going and applying the lessons that you learn because you're going to make mistakes for the rest of your life. The only question is whether or not you choose to learn from them and then, you know, build from there. Yeah. And keep being on that path instead of like, oh, no, I've made some mistakes. I should maybe do something else. No, just keep on track, keep going. And eventually you will going to get the results you wish for. Nick, at this point, are you ready for some lightning round questions? Fuck, I don't know. Like the wine is already empty. The water is empty. I'm like, yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it, man. (laughs) Here we go. The lightning round. What is one book that has most influenced you over the years that you would recommend to people? Who I would not say influence, but it's actually it's my my, my favorite book um, from Paolo Coelho, The Alchemist. Like I've read it about 10 times and every single time I can read between the lines. Awesome. What is one app or productivity tool or gadget that you're currently using that you would most recommend? All right. Since I almost got lost today to walk up to your apartment, like behind the scenes, Matt just sent me through a really fucking dodgy area to get to his apartment to do that podcast. He's like, oh yeah, Nick, you're just going to be like five minutes away. Like, this is my address. I just put it like on my Google Maps and I just walk like through a fucking dodgy area, like <laughs> through like a small town in Brazil. You know, I was like, holy shit, like it's called Rua de Matar and like Matar means in Spanish, like to kill. I was like, is this guy for real? Seriously. <laughs> Right. For that, I'm going to throw out an app. It's called Maps Me. So you can download offline maps and also Splitwise, which is kind of like a budget finance app and like a productivity tool. Like I work a lot with, um, I don't know, like uh, a Trello, uh, Active Campaign and um, Slack. All right. If you were able to go back in time and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, <laughs> what, what would it be? What would you say to 18-year-old Nick? All right. If I'm going to try time travel right now. Like I'm 32 years old. I'm, I'm going to try time travel 14 years back in time. I'm probably going to show up in front of myself and I'm just going to like punch myself in the face out of like, you know, the way I dressed. (laughs) Seriously. But after that, I think I would actually just like, um, like reach out my hand and I'm just going to like give myself a handshake. I'm just going to smile at myself and I'm going to be like, Nick, you know what? Enjoy the ride. Like, like, I don't know if I do have to give the explanation, but it's, I don't know, like all the stuff I went through, bring me to that moment I'm here right now. And like, that's the thing. I mean, yes, I'm a world traveler. I just love to travel. I just, I really, truly like, I mean, I was surfing with dolphins today. Like how how amazing is that? I realize sometimes I do live a life what other people dream of. And if I would not have made those mistakes, I've not have learned those lessons I've learned, I wouldn't be here. So it's a path. Everything happens for a reason. And just just go for it. Seriously. When you commented upon how you used to dress back then versus how you dress now, just to contextualize that, because this is an audio podcast, you are currently here <laughs> wearing a tank top, uh, yep. long hair, backwards hat, yep. uh, bathing suit and flip flops. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, like, like that's the thing. In Germany, we have this phrase, um, Kleider machen Leute. That means what people dress, they are. So basically, when you walk around, I don't know, like New York or San Diego or whatever, and you're just going to see like this fan, like this guy in his fancy suit, you always think that he's really, really successful. But give me an, an, an advice here. Those people are going to work for people who are wearing a board shorts, flip-flops, and back hat, and just sitting in front of the, the ocean. Like, seriously, like, just go with intuition. Like Gary Vee would say, just fucking crush Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesday and all the rest of the week and just go with it because you can't do anything wrong. As long as you do something you really want to do, it just feels so good. Like sometimes I'm working 23, 24 hours a day, but it doesn't feel like work. Of course, sometimes it's, it's exhausting to put up the podcasts and the travel shows and like all the adventure camps I want to do and like all the projects I'm working on like currently. But on the other side, I'm still able to go out to surf with a friend with dolphins today. It's, it's fucking amazing. Like life is a gift. So just treat it like that. Great advice. Okay. On with the lightning round. What are your top three travel destinations that you've ever been that you would most recommend people visit? All right. As you ask, I'm going to throw out that answer. I do not have a favorite travel destination because I always say it's not about the country. It's more about the adventure you live there and the people you met there. So therefore, I have to say I'm going to categorize it. And I would say the most beautiful beaches so far, in my own opinion, out of my own experiences, is uh, in Fiji, in San Sibor, in the Philippines. The best food is going to be number one in Mexico, number two in Thailand, number three in India. The best fun, of course, the United States. Uh, the best landscapes, uh, I would say Canada, Peru, Bolivia, and Vietnam. The best lifestyle in Australia. Wow. And of the beaches, you said the Fiji and what was the second one you said? Uh, Fiji, uh, f the Philippines and Zanzibar. 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 Okay. Yeah. Oh, Zanzibar. Uh, Excuse just, me. I okay. did not pronounce it the <laughs> right is, way. Which, you know, no, which it's called Zanzibar <laughs> in German. <laughs> which, which I was actually just in Zanzibar about uh, three months ago. And for people that don't know, that is an island off the coast of Tanzania. Exactly. In East Africa. Oh yeah, and there's like this one huge advice I'm going to give you right now of traveling the world for eight years because that happened to me in Dar al Salaam, which is the capital of Tanzania. Never, ever, like literally, you never, ever travel the world and you go somewhere and you're just going to pick up a cab driver and you tell him, drive me from one place to the other as fast as you can. This is a huge mistake. I've done that mistake in Tanzania and those guys, they're fucking like, they, they, they take it for real. Like they just know like full on, like they do not know the clutch. They do not know the brake. They just keep going. Like it's, it's crazy. Like you can, that's a suicide mission. Like you're going to be on total suicide squad. If you're going to tell people, drive me from one to the other place as fast as you can. And second advice, it does not count just for Africa, also for Asia and Central and South America. When you ask people for directions, don't take them for granted or like don't believe them 100%. Like sometimes like in Asia, the culture is like, if I'm going to ask, excuse me, where's, where's the library? And they, do, they have no fucking clue about where the library is. And so they're going to like this way, this way. And you go that way. And there is no fucking library. And in Africa, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, man, yeah, man, yeah, man. Library is you go, you go, you go, you go, you go, you're there. Like, 
it's insane how people can lie into your face because they don't know the direction. So always keep in mind, ask yourself and like download maps me download the uh, offline maps and you're just going to figure it out by yourself that is good advice a lot of people that have no idea will absolutely speak with confidence and certainty exactly as if they know exactly where they're sending you no like, question about it like matt did it just before it's like nick yeah let's meet at this apartment this is the address and he just sent me to a fucking dodgy area <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right you have been to over 70 countries at this point but you have not been everywhere in the world so what are your top three currently top three bucket list destinations that you most want to go to you've never been i definitely want to do the trans-siberian railway through russia mongolia and china i really wanted to do it last year but it didn't work out well number two is antarctica i really want to go there one day and actually i've never been to south africa to cape town I heard a lot about it and it's supposed to be really nice and I know I'm going to be there one day, but you know, I still have some time. So right now I'm enjoying South America. I'm going to enjoy the surfing with some dolphins. I'm going to enjoy some further uh, travels through South America. I've been here like 2013 in Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Bolivia, but now it's time for some other adventures in South America. I love it, man. That's awesome. All right, last question, and then we're going to get into how people can find you and follow you and all that good stuff. What does it mean to live life to the fullest, and how should people listening to this podcast think about that and apply it to their own lives? That's a really good question, Matt. Like, when I say to live life to the fullest, I can just tell about my own experience. What does it mean to live life to the fullest to me? Like to travel, to go out, on, to go out and live adventures, and be open-minded, and be really generous, and be really respectful to others. Maybe it, just, it means like another real, totally different style to different people. But if I'm gonna lying down in my deathbed and I'm gonna take like the last breath in my life, I just want to close my eyes and think back about the time what I lived through. I just want to have really like this amazing like biggest smile in my face ever and thinking about hell yeah what a ride like i like mark twain actually sounded up really nice of like in 20 years from now you're going to regret more those things you haven't done than the things you did so just go out and yeah explore just don't take yourself too too serious and just go out drop a smile be generous and like you have just like this this one life you can remember so just go for it and live it to the fullest whatever that means for you. I love that, man. So let's let people know how they can contact you, how they can follow your adventures on social media and anything you want to share about what's next for Nick Martin in the future coming up. Right now, I think uh, you're probably going to follow me uh, on Instagram. It's like uh, the users like travel underscore echo. So far, it's like uh, the Insta story is quite a lot in German because like I have like this German, you know, like base but just drop me a message of like nick shit i've heard you talking drunken at the maverick show <laughs> and uh let's please do some content in english and i'm gonna go for it then you can find me on facebook nick martin travel echo and um like my show so far it's called sex jahre weltreisen die geilste lück im lebenslauf yeah that was proper german i can repeat it in a proper way, sexy Jahre Weltreisen, die geilste Lücke im Lebenslauf. <laughs> um, so far it's just in German, but here's the good news. I'm planning to put that show into a slightly different format, but then going international, like English speaking in 2020. So maybe somebody's going to hear it and they're going to be like, Nick, you know what? I'm going to write you an email. 
we're going to figure out like some venues in the US. Like it would be a dream of me of, you know, like performing in the US. <laughs> it, would, it would be amazing. Let's see. Everything happens for a reason. And there might be this one person who's going to listen to the Maverick show. And it's like, yep, I'm going to look on travel minus echo.com and going to shoot me an email. And um, yeah. So travel underscore echo. We are going to put all of the links and all of the ways you can contact Nick, all of his social media handles in one place on the show notes page at themaverickshow.com. And you can feel free to shoot him a direct message. And then by following you on social media, obviously people will then hear about when you launch the English language exactly. show, when you Definitely. come to the US and they'll be in your ecosystem and be able to follow everything that you're doing. So we will put all of that in one place. Nick, thank you so much for doing our, our third, third attempt is the winner, man. The third attempt is the winner. Thank you so much for coming back and being here, man. It's been amazing. You know what? Fuck it. Let's do it a fourth time with another bottle of wine. I'm happy to do it. No, seriously. Thank you so much for being part of the Maverick show. And yeah, I hope I could give you some value to your audience. And thank you so much for letting me be here. All right. Good night, everybody. Sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad. Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing.